What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. This is Wilmington's Morning News with Nick Craig. With news and analysis. I need to know. We're the station you can trust for the news that affects you. It's all I need. 107.9 and 980 The Wave. on a Thursday edition of Wilmington's Morning News, November the 10th, 2022. It's great to have you alongside. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. If you'd like to jump in on the program this morning, that's 910-763-4000. You can also text us at that number as well. It is a very uh, a very cool new service that we have available where you can uh, text in your comments. Maybe you've got a, an article or a link or something, story you think I need to check out. You can do all of that there. Well, we start off this morning with the weather as Hurricane Nicole has weakened to a tropical storm. This is after it made landfall in Florida as a Category 1 hurricane earlier this morning. According to the latest details from the National Hurricane Center, Nicole, the center of Nicole, moved on shore at 3 a.m. this morning, just south of Vero Beach, Florida. That's on Florida's east coast, north of Miami. Nicole had just over maximum sustained winds of 75 miles an hour, making it the, uh, that is the bar, the minimum there for a Category 1 hurricane. It made landfall with a pressure of 981 millibars with those uh, maximum sustained winds. Now that the storm is over landfall or over land and has made landfall, it has weakened as you would expect. And the storm is now a tropical storm, now is now known as Tropical Storm Nicole, punching her way now through the center part of the state with those maximum sustained winds at now 70 miles an hour with its cent- center over eastern central Florida. Uh, what they're seeing down there is uh, some strong winds, some uh, pretty rough surf on the East Coast, and uh, dangerous storm surge and rain, plus uh, some decent rainfall as well, but uh, not a you know, massive amount of rain. Fortunately, the storm is still moving very quick at about 14 miles an hour, so it'll be in and out before you know it. And that's going to have some impacts here across southeastern North Carolina over the next couple of days Taking a look at a couple of different sites and sources this morning, we are under a slight risk of severe weather from the um, Storm Prediction Center out of Norman, Oklahoma. This is due to the possible risk of some bands, some interior bands of this storm making its way across the region, specifically later tonight into tomorrow. Looking at a PDF here from the National Weather Service in Wilmington, 
They say that they're expecting mostly minor impacts across the southeastern North Carolina coast. The primary primary impact will be an increased tornado threat tonight into tomorrow morning. They do note that there could be brief heavy rainfall, gusty winds, 30 to 35 miles an hour, and some minor coastal flooding as that storm is rapidly weakening uh, as it will make its way across the western parts of the Carolinas. And we'll get some of those eastern bands as the storm continues its counterclockwise motion. So that is what we are tracking right now at uh, this hour. Our friend Stephen Pfaff with the our friend Steve Pfaff with the National Weather Service here in Wilmington will join us coming up in about an hour and a half this morning at 7:35. We'll get the latest details from him as to what you can expect here, both on the coast and in some of our inland counties coming up later today and through the day tomorrow. And then it looks like. Uh, what originally was going to be a complete and total washout of a Veterans Day weekend actually looks like it'll be all right. The uh, storms and showers should be moving out Friday night, and that will uh, clear for what is going to be what looks to be a really nice Saturday, all things considered, here across the Cape Fear region. Stephen Pfaff with the National Weather Service. He'll have those latest details at 735 this morning. All right, taking a look at some local news as we uh, get the show kicked off. A Wilmington man is going to be spending some significant time in prison for a voluntary manslaughter conviction. Wilmington resident Jonathan Dwight Southers, who's 54 years old, entered into an Alford guilty plea to voluntary manslaughter in a New Hanover County Superior Court yesterday. And he is now expected to serve 11, over 11 and a half years in prison. Southers was arrested for the death of Yolanda Bentley at the Hanover Landing Apartments back in April of 2018, nearly five years ago. This happened around 2 a.m. at that time. Southers stabbed Bentley once in her chest and fled, and Bentley succumbed to her injuries on the scene. According to a release from District Attorney Ben David's office, a woman told detective that Southers and another friend had been drinking with her in the apartment on the night of April the 11th. That's when an argument between her and Southers started over the woman's friendship with Bentley. The woman said that Southers pushed her down and grabbed her phone when she tried to call Bentley and Southers left on his bike only to come back later. Investigators believe that Bentley and Southers confronted each other and it escalated into violence after neighbors reported hearing a loud altercation around two o'clock in the morning. A wooden chair leg was found near Bentley's body, which appeared to have come from a chair in her apartment. A resident also reported seeing a man on a bike leaving the apartment while another person yelled for someone to call 911. Phone and cell phone tower location records showed the defendant was in the area at the time of the murder and stayed in Wilmington for a few days after. During questioning, Southers told detectives that he had left the apartment before anybody was killed and went to Myrtle Beach. He said his phone was broken, that he had thrown it away that night. However, Southers made several calls when he was booked in the New Hanover County Detention Center and recorded conversations capture him telling another woman that she needed to throw his phone into the Cape Fear River. Wow. Now, if you're going to lie to law enforcement, you probably shouldn't then 
be recorded on a phone call within the uh, New Hanover County Detention Center talking about throwing your phone into the river. The woman was located and confirmed that she had disposed of the phone for the defendant. The woman also said that Southers was, quote, acting strangely shortly after the murder and told her that he had done something to a woman and needed to turn himself in. Not the uh, most crackpot of criminals here this morning. Jonathan Dwight Southers, 54 years old. He uh, killed a woman back in April of 2018, and he'll be serving nearly the next 12 years in prison for that. That's according to details from the district attorney's office. Taking a look at some other news across the some other news across the area this morning, a uh, another situation unfolding in which the Wilmington Police Department is now searching for a missing woman according to the latest details on that this the Wilmington Police Department have released information about a missing woman known to hang out near Sigmund Road. That's right where Walmart is. Mackenzie Rogers, who's 22 years old, is 5'5", and was last seen wearing shorts and a tank top, though police say she might be wearing a gray shirt um, and could be driving a 2018 blue Mazda, has been reported missing for the last few days, and the Wilmington Police Department is uh, continuing their search for her this morning. In some other news across the area, the Wilmington Police Department is actually responding to some fake information responding to missing, missing persons this morning. They put out a post on their Facebook page yesterday saying, News alert, the Wilmington Police Department is aware of a Facebook post referencing eight African-American males that are missing. This is false information that has been passed around on social media. There is currently only one case of a missing male. That's 28-year-old Cody Yarnborough. He went missing back on October the 31st, but was not reported missing until November the 6th. Anybody with information is asked to please contact the Wilmington Police Department. And they also reference that you can submit tips new through the 411 service that the Wilmington Police Department has. So even um, you know, even with uh, Facebook comments turned off on the Wilmington Police Department Facebook page, they are uh, dealing with some issues of false information, including a, a plethora or what this what they're reporting here, eight individuals that were reported missing uh, on various social media platforms that is not true at all all right it's now 6 16 on this thursday edition of wilmington's morning news 61 degrees and very breezy outside this morning it's been that way for about the last 24 hours or so and temperatures will be jumping into the middle 70s today expecting some rain and storm showers to make their way across the region, especially later in the day today. We could see a passing flurry uh, you know, sooner rather than later, but that not any sort of large rain expected until later on in the night tonight or later on in the day today, I should say. Taking a look at the uh, forecast, and we'll get the details with Stephen Pfaff. Looks like uh, sometime around or after dinner time into the late evening hours is when the best chance of some steady rainfall and some of those potentially strong to even severe storms could make their way across the Cape Fear region. Those details coming up for you at 735 this morning. 
At 6.35, we'll bring you the latest details on the election results across the Cape Fear region. We'll recap those from yesterday. We'll also take a look at some of the national races that we are still watching for House and Senate. Let you know everything you need to know there. Stephen Pfaff, the National Weather Service at 7.35. And Donna King of the Carolina Journal at 8.05. Donna will have the latest details as we recap and round out the busy midterm election season on the other side of this break an interesting report out from the or rather an interesting email being sent by the principal of a new hanover county high school which claims that there were more than one missing fa- uh, missing children within the school system That is not the case. The new Hanover County school system had to comment and make some comments about that. We'll bring you all of those interesting details coming up after this. You can give us a call or shoot us a text message at 910-763-4000. If you can bring a different point of view to the table, call us now, 910-763-4000. Just want to bring up a point here that seems like I haven't really heard a lot of. 107.9 and 980 The Way. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. We've got a cool opportunity this morning. Sweet bid auctions are back. You can view those auctions right now by visiting our website, 980waav.com. You'll see the banner right there on the homepage homepage for the Sweet Bids auction. And there's a lot of really cool things that you can get your bidding in on right now. You can save big on a couple of great items, including a $1,000 gift card from Buddy's Home Furnishing, a Hartford sofa or love seat from Woody's House Upholstery, or how about a $1,000 gift card from Wade's Jewelers? All of those available at deep discounts. Get your bids in now. Visit our website, 980wave.com, or our social media platforms and get in on the sweet bids auction. Again, those details on our website, 980wave.com. 623 now welcome back to wilmington's morning news some parents here in new hanover county are concerned for their children's safety at schools after an interesting email was sent that highlighted a what apparently was being promoted as a group of missing teenagers the email from philip sutton who is the principal at new hanover high school reads as follows New Hanover High School students and parents, this is your principal, Philip Sutton. Our thoughts and prayers continue to be with the multiple New Hanover High School students that are considered missing. The New Hanover, the New Hanover High School student support service team and resources from the New Hanover County Schools will be available to assist students and staff as needed to process these situations. Now, this is just off the heels of our prior story, which was a uh, report from the Wilmington Police Department about a social media post or social media posts that eight African-American males were missing. Is there any sort of relation here? Uh, Don't know. It's maybe safe to assume yes. Well, it turns out that that is not exactly what is going on here as Josh Smith The chief communication officer for the school district put out a post on the school's Facebook page last night 
saying, quote, I want to address some misinformation circulating on social media about missing parents or students, specifically at New Hanover High School. One New Hanover High School student by the name of Miana Jones is considered missing by law enforcement. An earlier message from the school that referenced multiple students was inaccurate, and that is the report there. However, if you head over to the Wilmington Star News, there is a story out this or there's a story out yesterday that claims that there are two students missing from the New Hanover County school system. Two uh, student or uh, uh, children uh, or uh, school aged children is what I'm trying to say from the Wilmington um, Police Department or from uh, uh, from the school system. So it's a little bit confusing because you've got a report out yesterday headline two New Hanover High School students still missing as police dispel online rumors. The school system and Josh Smith saying that there's only one student missing. The principal of New Hanover High School saying that there's multiple students missing. I have no idea what exactly is is going on um, with this. We know of the one student, Miona Jones. Uh, the Star News is also claiming that a uh, another individual, a 16-year-old, um, who is also missing this morning as well. Um, so we're just we're not exactly sure what's going on. This is a great reminder of why it is so tough for law enforcement, why it's so tough for, you know, communications and stuff like that when you've got big social media presence and impacts like this. When you've got rumors online claiming that not only are there, um, you know, students missing or potentially multiple students, but eight or nine people missing in another case. And all of this looking and appearing to uh, apparently just a bunch of hearsay and some online social media fodder. Now, where did this stuff come from? Was there a little bit of truth that turned into a, a larger rumor? We just uh, we just don't know. So we're keeping an eye on that and we'll bring you any of those latest details as we get them here on Wilmington's Morning News. Well, for folks that are big affordable housing advocates, the city of Wilmington has received a $9 million award from the North Carolina Office of Recovery and Resiliency for Affordable Housing. This is according to an announcement yesterday from the city. The funding is part of a nearly $23 million plan awarded from the Affordable Housing Development Fund for for multifamily housing projects that were hit hard by both Hurricanes Matthew in 2015 and Florence in 2018. In the case of Wilmington, that money, $9 million, will go towards the 278 multifamily unit development that used to be or that is being built where the old Starway flea market was. This will include 20 fully accessible ADA units as the Wilmington City Council has approved and has set aside money for that project. According to the announcement here, the housing community to be built by Bradley Housing Developers LLC is an example of redevelopment in a prime location, a former drive-in movie theater spot near Key Amenities. 
Units will be affordable to households making 60% of the area's median income. The city of Greenville also received $5 million for them, 180-unit affordable housing unit, and Moorhead City received $8.3 million for 168-unit development that they are working on. So you add all those things together, you're talking about nearly 700 multifamily housing uh, communities and developments being built here just east of 95, Moorhead City, Greenville, and here in Wilmington. So that money uh, going for the project to uh, revitalize that area of land that used to be known as the Starway Drive-In Theater, then the Starway Flea Market. It's set to be nearly 300 homes coming up in the next couple of years. All right, it's, uh, we're approaching 6.30 now. We will grab our bottom of the hour news break. On the other side, we'll take a look at some elections from yesterday. Are you ready for hard-hitting observations? She is the least credible person I may have ever seen on camera. The Ben Shapiro Show brings you all the news you need to know in America today. Guys, not everything is 40 chess. Why can't we just laugh? Ben breaks down the culture and never gives an inch. We all know I'm the number one rapper in the world thanks to Facts by Tom McDonald. The Ben Shapiro Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Whatever you listen for. I listen to the traffic updates. We've got you covered with Right Now Traffic on 107.9 and 980 The Way. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. Coming up here in just an hour, we will catch up with Steve Fapp with the National Weather Service here in Wilmington with the uh, latest on uh, what was Hurricane, now Tropical Storm Nicole, as it makes impacts across the Cape Fear region. You felt the wind starting yesterday, and the uh, rain will make its way in later today and through the day tomorrow. Those details coming up here in just one hour this morning. Well, we continue to track and watch the latest details on the midterm elections from a few days ago, back Tuesday night, and things, well, pretty much the same as they were yesterday. Uh, Looking at the latest reports and the latest projections from Fox News, they give the Republicans currently 49 seats. That includes the Alaska race in which one of the Republicans will win in that race. They've got some weird um, step voting system in Alaska where you vote for like three candidates and then the top two. It's it's a really bizarre system uh, that they have up there, but it, it will be a Republican up in Alaska. So that leaves three Senate races still to be decided. We've got the Senate race in Arizona the Senate race in Nevada, and the Senate race in Georgia. Taking a look at the Nevada Senate race, which somehow only 78% of the vote is now in, which is just unfathomable to me that it takes this long to get election results. It's just so stupid. Um, Adam Laxat, the uh, Republican who's running against Democrat incumbent Catherine uh, Catherine Cortez Mastro, is up about 20,000 votes right now. Again, there's still 
about 82-83% of the vote outstanding there in Nevada, but the Republican leading there. And in a state that should no longer be able to administer their own elections from my vantage point, Arizona has less than 70% of the vote reported. How that's possible, your guess is as good as mine. And Democrat Mark Kelly, the incumbent, still holds a sizable lead over Republican Blake Masters. Taking a look at those vote totals right now, Kelly has got about a 90,000 or so vote lead as uh, more tallies and more votes continue to come in there. The other race in Arizona we're following is the gubernatorial race in which Carrie Lake is running against Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, and that gap, that differential has closed dramatically. Carrie Lake's down about 12,000 votes, and apparently from what I heard yesterday, a lot of the outstanding vote, which is could be upwards of five or 600,000 outstanding votes, are a lot of same-day election results, which you would presume favors Republicans. At least that's the conventional thinking. So uh, Carrie Lake, uh, she claims that she's won the election. It's obviously too close to call. She's very much in striking distance. I'm not sure that, um, I'm not sure that looking at the... Senate race in Arizona that Blake Masters is going to pull it out. So that leaves Georgia, which neither candidate was able to get to the 50 vote margin, the 50 percent threshold that is required to win a Senate race in Georgia, which means that they will be running or they will be headed into a runoff election. The way it works in Georgia is if you don't uh, get to 50 percent plus one vote, That's 50% plus one vote. The race, the top two vote getters move forward and make their way towards a runoff election. Looking at the details right now, Herschel Walker is down about 40,000 votes in that race. Uh, against Raphael Warnock, the Democrat incumbent. Neither of them are going to get to that threshold. So according to this, the Secretary of State Brad Raffsenberger in Georgia, that race is headed for a runoff matchup, which will take place on December the 6th. So you've got that coming up here in less than a month. It will be about a three and a half or so week campaign, very similar to what we saw back in 2020 when Warnock originally won that race. The contest is a uh, mirrors the state's 2021 runoff when Warnock and fellow Democrat Senator John Ossoff flipped both of Georgia's Senate seats from Republican to Democrat. And that, of course, caused some uh, big issues there for the Republicans in the U.S. Senate as the they you know, lost power, lost control of that organization, and are now are dealing with a 50-50 divided Senate. Then, of course, you've got the um, vice president, in this case, Democrat Kamala Harris, as the tie-breaking vote in that. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with this runoff in Georgia. Lots of folks also uh, are now concerned as President Donald Trump is expected to make an announcement next week on the 14th that he will run again for his run again for president. That's expected on Monday. Will that cause 
um, that will cause Raphael Warnock just to beat uh, beat up against Trump in the runoff and not have anything to do about the um, will not have anything to do about actually running against Herschel Walker. We'll see exactly what we saw in the midterms two days ago and over the last couple of months as the election was not about the issues, at least for the Democrats. It wasn't about the issues that were that are facing the country right now. It was about Trump and extremism and abortion. That's what they turned the election into, and it worked. They were successful in completely distracting the American populace, the American people, from voting on issues that are important. You had people that, no matter what was said, what was done, the current state of the economy, the current issues that we're dealing with all over the U.S., by the way, we get CPI numbers at 8.30 this morning. We'll bring them to you live. People just actively voting against the best interests of them and their family, but it doesn't matter. It's all about winning seats. So deflect from the issues, run away from them, and call anybody that runs against you a Nazi, a fascist, an extremist, and equate them to Trump. It's a winning strategy. It was for the Democrats, and it will be for Warnock if Trump decides to throw his hat into the race here uh, next um, on Monday, which I'm sure he will. Uh, and he doesn't care about the Georgia runoff. He didn't care about it last year. He didn't care about it in 2020. Claimed that he did, he didn't. And then Raphael Warnock will win, and then the Senate will be yet again split. Kamala Harris will be the deciding vote. I mean, that's that's just what we're looking at. I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, you know ne- negative here or you know, be just gloom and doom, but looking at these, you know, the last runoff election in Georgia, looking how the election went just a couple of days ago, obviously there's problems with the, uh, for the voting base in Georgia, there's problems with them in the Senate. You know, they reelected Brian Kemp in a large margin over Stacey Abrams, his Democrat opponent. But for whatever reason, folks a lot more split, a lot more undecided on this vote for U.S. Senate. Again, talking about nearly bo- both candidates getting over 190, uh, 1.9 million votes and only about 40,000 votes separating them. And we know in these runoff elections, the problem that we saw in the last runoffs in Georgia was that voters are just tired and didn't care to turn out. Voters were you know, frustrated and fatigued by the 2020 election. They did not want to show up, and they didn't. Republicans just did not show up in the runoffs in 2020. And that caused Raphael Warnock to get reelected to that seat. And now the 50-50 split that we have in the U.S. Senate. Is it possible for the Republicans to flip the Senate? Absolutely. It's just one race. Can Herschel Walker overcome the odds and beat Raphael Warnock? Sure. Because it looks like Nevada is going to fall in line to the Republicans. Arizona, not looking the way. Not looking that way. So it'll come down to Georgia again. The House looks pretty good. Taking a look at the latest Fox News projections this morning, the um, party to party, one of the individual parties needs 218 uh, seats in the House to have the majority. The Republicans are at 207. There are still 44 House seats withstanding, which is still bizarre to me as well that it, again, takes this long to get results in. There are still the fact that there's still 44 House seats withstanding. Now, you know, 
heading on to two days after the election is pretty wild to me. The last uh, race ha- was called as of about three o'clock yesterday when a uh, Republican won Iowa's, Iowa's third uh, congressional district there and is making his way to Washington, D.C. So that's the latest kind of from a 50,000 foot view this morning. Uh, House is going to be uh, Republican controlled. So at least one chamber will be moving that way. The Senate, it's possible, but Republicans are going to have to put in the work in um, Georgia. And it's not just Republicans putting in work. It's going to be voters in Georgia actually showing up to make that happen. Having a strong ground game and telling people that, yes, I know that you've been watching political ads for the last nine months. I know you've heard about it. You don't want to see it anymore, but you don't have a choice. If it's truly that important, this is what you've got to do. So that'll be interesting to see how that unfolds over the next couple of weeks. And uh, December 6th is that runoff election in Georgia. That's just four weeks away. It's now 6.47 on Wilmington's Morning News. We will turn our attention to some local election results coming up on the other side as District Attorney, the District Attorney out in Columbus County has come out and made a statement against embattled in um, former, well, resigned Columbus County Sheriff Jody Green, who won re-election on Tuesday night. That story is a bit bizarre. We'll bring you the latest details on that, plus some comments from the Speaker of the North Carolina House and Senate after this. You're listening to Wilmington's Morning News on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. What are your thoughts on the uh, Tuesday midterm elections, the House and the Senate, the races here in North Carolina? Open phone lines at 653. Hope you're doing well on this Thursday morning. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. 61 degrees outside right now. Windy as uh, the impacts of a tropical storm. Nicole make uh, her impacts across Florida and then uh, Georgia, South Carolina and the North Carolina coast over the next day or so. Well, we know nationally where things stand. Actually, we don't know where things stand nationally. We know that we're still waiting. But locally, the results are all in and everything um, is uh, good. Doesn't appear there's going to be any runoffs or uh, recounts or anything like that. None of the race is that close. Arguably, the most shocking result out of everything Tuesday night was the situation out in Columbus County where uh, embattled former sheriff Jody Green, who resigned just three weeks ago, won re-election pretty handedly over Democrat Jason Souls. The final result of that race as of right now has Jody Green up by about 2,000 or so votes in that race, 54 to 46. So after resigning just a few weeks ago, he has been re-elected as the sheriff. 
Green thanked his supporters after being elected again as a sheriff on his personal Facebook page, saying, quote, to the countless the countless phone calls and support from my friends and supporters have meant so much. I am so honored for your vote of confidence in me and the staff at the sheriff's office. I promise we will not let you down. I am the sheriff for everyone, no matter race, color, religion, sexual orientation, or national or national origin. Moving forward, I can ask for your continued prayers and support as we face new challenges in Columbus County. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Wow, a little bit of a, a tone-deaf message there when you say that you're the sheriff for everybody, no matter race or color, and there's um, comments of you referring to African-American employees within your sheriff's department in a very derogatory manner. District Attorney John David called on Green to resign after he was heard on a phone call recording making multiple racist comments about black employees within the department and is now and was calling for them to be fired from their jobs. When Green refused, District Attorney John David filed a petition to remove the then sheriff from office as Green was suspended pending a hearing. Just days before the hearing, David updated the petition to include new allegations against Green, claiming that Green had arrested residents without a basis and threatened the, as well as threatening a county commissioner and having a sexual relationship with a female employee while on duty. Not, again, not hitting at all cylinders there. Green had resigned right before the state was about to call its first witness at the October the 24th hearing for the petition of his removal, saying that he did not want to put the people he served through this process. As the district attorney then decided there was no need to move forward because Green had already resigned. Later that day, Green said he would still be seeking re-election, and then District Attorney John David vowed to file another petition for removal based on the same allegations. For a statement that was released on October the 24th, the, the district attorney for Columbus County said, quote, these allegations speak through time and are disqualifying to anyone seeking to hold the high office of sheriff. Should Green be successful in the November election, my office would have an ethical obligation to file and will file a new petition to remove Green from the term of office based on the allegations alleged in the current petition to remove. So with him winning this election, now the results are not 100% official yet. They will be official next Friday after Canvas and everything else is done, but he will be winning that position he, uh, if it's like other governmental offices, he'll be sworn in sometime in early December, and then it would appear that the DA would file for his petition of removal almost immediately. Deborah Maxwell, the president of the North Carolina NAACP, says that she is disappointed that Green will be able to hold office again after hearing his racist comments. She said, quote, I am disappointed that there was not enough turnout to reverse the decision with him being on the ballot. But we will continue to press the issue because what he said was inflammatory. And part of our mission statement is to fight racial hatred and racial discrimination, which is what he did in his comments and statements. Uh, he will be sworn in on December the 5th. And the district attorney has not said when exactly he plans to file that petition to have Green removed from office. So this is going this should be a very interesting battle to watch unfold. Um, Green seemingly not affected by this at all. 
announced he was going to run again, and obviously he had enough support behind him. He got over 10,000 votes in Columbus County. So there's uh, either more to the story there or um, there, I don't know exactly what goes on out in Columbus County. It's uh, We'll admit I'm not an expert in Columbus County politics, um, and especially in a lot of small rural counties like you've got in Columbus, there are a lot more factors at play than necessarily meet the eye. So he will be resuming his post as the sheriff in Columbus County on December the 5th, and then we'll see what sort of legal battles or procedures take place shortly after that. It's now 6.59 on Wilmington's Morning News as we approach 7 o'clock this morning. Want to remind you that the Sweet Bids auctions are ongoing right now on our website, 980wave.com. Lots of great items on there, including a crust North Carolina pizza party. That's a $1,000 value. You can get your bids in on that as well as a one-month cryo-couple membership, furniture, lawn maintenance, so many other things available right now. Head on over to our website, 980wave.com, and click on the Sweet Bids banner. We'll grab our top-of-the-hour news break on the other side. We will turn our attention to the statewide races here in North Carolina. You're listening to Wilmington's Morning News. Don't go anywhere. Afford Anything is a podcast that teaches you how to be smart with your money. As a small business, you don't have the resources to pay the level of overhead and for the level of services that a Fortune 500 company could afford. So I certainly understand why, if you want to offer benefits, the providers of that, that that fee is going to be higher because there's more account management per employee. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Up to the minute news radio for Cape Fear. I like being informed. Wilmington's morning news on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Six, hour number two of Wilmington's Morning News. Great to have you here on this Thursday morning, November the 10th, 2022. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. You can also text us there as well. 910-763-4000. Coming up here in just about 30 minutes, we will get the latest details on uh, Tropical Storm Nicole and its impacts across the Cape Fear region with our friend Steve Pfaff with the National Weather Service. He joins us coming up in half an hour. And Donna King with the Carolina Journal. We will have the full and all of the latest details on the statewide midterm elections with her coming up here in one hour this morning at 8.05. Well, continuing the conversation with the local election ongoings over the last couple of days here in North Carolina, you know, a huge win for the Republicans and for the um, you know conservative movement in the state, sweeping the judicial races across the state. Republicans have gone 15 for 15 in statewide races over the last a uh, couple of years going back to 2019, a complete and total sweep there of those races. Statewide, a supermajority now in the North Carolina Senate, where Republicans will be able to override a Governor Roy Cooper veto in the Senate and in the House. Unfortunately, just one vote shy of that, but still within one vote of 
overriding a, uh, a veto, which could set the stage for some very interesting conversations. Now, there was a press conference held yesterday at the North Carolina General Assembly in which the uh, Sen- Senator Berger, Phil Berger, spoke. He's the leader of the North Carolina Senate. And Tim Moore, the Speaker of the North Carolina House, spoke. They answered questions from media. It's about a, about a 30, so or 30 or so minute press conference yesterday. And I just grabbed two quick clips, one from each of them, uh, with what they think of the election yesterday. We'll start it off in the Senate with uh, Senator Berger in the uh, GA yesterday. Uh, with reference to the Senate, uh, I... I am extremely pleased that uh, we uh, have moved back into uh, a situation where we've got 30 uh, members. Uh, I think um, uh, one of the things that's uh, important to remember is that Republicans, both in the House and the Senate, uh, have now uh, won elections in districts drawn by Democrats, in districts drawn by Democratic judges, in districts drawn by uh, 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 Republicans and Democrats. I'm going to pause it right there. That's a very interesting thing to note. We had this big battle over redistricting and what were these districts going to look like and so on and so forth. These were the court-ordered districts, and obviously, as you just heard from Senator Berger, well, not only could Republicans win, they got a supermajority under those districts. Jointly, where districts were approved by the legislature, and uh, the idea... Uh, that some sort of legislative gerrymander is the reason that Republicans have majorities in uh, the legislature is, uh, is, as it has always been, a fallacy. Um, I um, uh, am looking forward to getting together with our new members uh, and with our returning members. That's uh, Senator Phil Berger of the North Carolina Senate leading the charge there, trying to push back and put essentially some uh, blocks on Governor Roy Cooper ahead of his uh, end of his term, which he is termed out in 2024. So he will not be able to rerun for election. He'll have to either um, you know, run for some other sort of race. Maybe he runs for uh, Senate or uh runs for president or something that he runs for in 2024 all my point is he can't be the governor um that's uh that's not the case in 2024 so um trying to essentially hamstrung him over the next couple of years and we heard some similar comments from tim moore the speaker of the north carolina house yesterday on his big win in the house again just being one vote short of the north of the supermajority for republicans yes a republican majority is safe on the state supreme court for at least the next six to eight years and that's good not just for republicans that's good for that's good for everybody that wants tough laws when it comes to sex offenders that wants to ensure that the rights of the people were upheld that the constitution is respected and importantly that the balance of power between the executive branch and the legislative branch is kept in the proper place uh, if you look at the issues that we talked about in these campaigns across the state we talked about jobs moving the state forward We talked about crime, what we can do to fight crime, to make the streets safer. We talked about uh, things like election integrity. Uh, All these issues came together and I think resulted in what you saw. Uh, We have, of course, we now have 71 seats in the House. Would I like 72? Of course I would like 72. Uh, But I will tell you, for all intents and purposes, we have a governing uh, supermajority. Uh, we have a handful of Democrats who work with us. We have some new members coming in, and I feel completely confident that uh, should we need to override vetoes, we'll be able to do our part on the House as well. 
That's a huge note, and that caught the press here in North Carolina by a bit of a surprise yesterday. A whole bunch of questions asked after that about, you know, well, what, what do you mean by this? And, and it seems that the Speaker of the North Carolina House is indicating that uh, there is some Democrats that would be likely in certain cases, again, depending on what the situation is, what the vote is, what the veto is, that they might be willing to cross the island giving one vote to the Republicans to override that veto from Governor Roy Cooper. So, but, you know, we're going to start out just like we always do every year uh, when it comes to budget, when it comes to other matters. We first you know, see where we are between the House, between the Senate, and then we try to work with the governor and, and come up with a product of where we can reach consensus on it. And in those cases where we can't, uh, we do believe ultimately that the General Assembly, the Senate and the House will be in a position to ensure that the, the votes of the people were upheld. So that is uh, what we are tracking out of the General Assembly. They've got um, they will be going back into session early next year. The uh, new members will be sworn in. The returning members will go back to Raleigh and taking a look at those returning members here locally. All of the incumbents winning those races across southeastern North Carolina. Unfortunately for um, Republicans in the northern half of New Hanover County, uh, District 18, we're still dealing with Democrat and uh, you know, essentially ineffective legislator Deb Butler. She will make her way back to Raleigh, unfortunately. Ted Davis, Frank Eiler, Charlie Miller, and Michael Lee all going back to Raleigh as well. So no major shakeups here locally in terms of the North Carolina General Assembly. And uh, we'll see well, what they do when they get back. Um, you know, we talked about things like Medicaid expansion, uh, the budget, lots of uh, things ongoing in the state of North Carolina. Again, I, you know, I want to continue to reiterate this, and I think it's important to do so. When you look at the conversations that are taking place at a national level in places like Georgia and Pennsylvania and Arizona and some of these other states, North Carolina is not those states. And I want to just I want to be I want to remind you and just make you aware of this this morning and continue to beat home the fact that here in the state of North Carolina, we have got a very strong government, a very strong local government that is by the people, for the people. And the people have spoken for, in elections for the last 12 years, sending Republicans back year after year after year to Raleigh and to the General Assembly. And we've seen the successes that the General Assembly has had. We've seen the work that has been done. We've seen the taxes being lowered. We've seen all of this stuff. It's not hearsay. It's not a rumor. It's not great thing, great words on paper. No, it's actually the truth. It's actually happened. So don't, I just want to be, I just want you to be careful as you hear some of these you know, frustrating things in other states to just chill out. Yes, you can be frustrated about things ongoing in other states, but just Remember what's going on here in North Carolina right now, the strong things that we've got in the state right now, the strong leadership that we've got in the conservative movement, the Republican Party, and now up in the General Assembly and now on the courts as well. That stuff doesn't happen by accident. You don't win four Board of Education races here in New Hanover County by accident. You don't stumble into that. It's good messaging, and it's 
better ideas than the opposition. And that's what we're seeing. That's what we saw. And that's you know, the political climate, at least here in the state. Not talking about Pennsylvania or Georgia or any of those other things. I'm talking about North Carolina. So it's great to see that that is what, uh, or it's great to see the successes here in North Carolina. I caught a a piece yesterday. I don't remember where. I didn't save it. Um, And it essentially said that there were two states that were big shining spots for the Republicans uh, on the Tuesday midterm elections, and that was Florida and North Carolina. It's a huge accomplishment to be listed in that and seeing the great work of volunteers and groundwork and all of that stuff here uh, being successful across the state. All right, it's now 7-16 on Wilmington's Morning News. It's great to have you here this morning. Open phone lines until 7.30 at 910-763-4000. 61 degrees outside right now, cloudy and windy as the uh, surf is incredibly rough at our area beaches due to what was Hurricane, now Tropical Storm at Nicole and uh, her impacts that we'll feel heading in a little bit later on today and through the day tomorrow as well. We'll grab a, a quick commercial break here. Your phone calls and text messages coming up at 910-763-4000. You're listening to Wilmington's Morning News on 107.9 and 9.8 The Wave. Bringing you the big stories first. Wilmington's Morning News. The news I need. On 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Cape Fears News Talk and Sports. Open phone and text lines at 910-763-4000. You can call or text us with your comments. Just a few days after the midterm elections, we'll catch up with Steve Pfaff of the National Weather Service here in about 15 minutes with the uh, latest details on Tropical Storm Nicole. Donna King with the Carolina Journal joins us in about 45 as we uh, continue through this Thursday edition. We've got a uh, caller hanging on the line this morning. Let's get on over to that caller. Good morning. You're on the air. What's on your mind? Go ahead. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. What's up? Um, kind of been thinking lately since I uh, saw uh, President Trump say last week that he was going to make his announcement next week, and everybody's pretty sure he's going to make the announcement that he's going to run in 24. Um, I'm a huge Trump supporter. Love the guy. Love everything he did in his four years. But I've just got a little bit of concern. I'm just wondering how the middle of the road uh, voter is is gonna vote in 24 um you know there's a bad taste in some people's mouths um you know how he how he did what he did in his four years and you know um i i think with uh you know maybe desantis putting his uh you know hat into the ring i i'm wondering if he would be the better representative for the republican party in 24 Well, I'll say this. Before we can get to 24, we need to talk about what's coming up here in four weeks. If Trump announces on Monday, which is what he's announced, you know, he's just so ambiguous with this stuff. Oh, some big announcement on the 14th. That will pretty much show the fact that the Republicans cannot win the Georgia Senate race because then Raphael Warnock and the Democrats will make the entire election against Trump. It won't even be about Herschel Walker to be specifically about Trump. So he'll, he'll sink the Republicans in Georgia. He did it once in 2020, so it wouldn't be surprised for him to do it again. He cast so much doubt on voting in 2020 that Republicans said, to hell with it, we're not even going to vote because the election's rigged. And then, of course, then Democrats now control the U.S. Senate. So you can thank Trump for that in 2020. You'll probably see it again this year as well. Um, 
I, I yeah, I think I you said uh, some people have a bad taste. I think a lot of people do. You've got a lot of middle of the road people that uh, just even though they like the guy's policies, they just hate him. So they'll vote against him. My personal opinion, I do think DeSantis would be a better um, uh, representative. I think is the word you used of the Republican Party and the Republican ideals. But Trump is not going to go away. I mean, it's just it, 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 he's like a like a bad cold that just won't, won't he just keeps coming back. And uh, I think he's at this point he's doing more damage for the Republicans than good. I mean, do you see or feel the same way? Well, yeah, and that's where I guess I'm I'm starting to think. And again, I love the guy, love his policies, whatever. I'm it's I'm not trying to, you know, bash him, but now I'm starting to, you know, wonder a little bit like, okay, you know, what's your goal here if you really you really care about the Republican Party, and you really care about the yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I he doesn't I hate to say I hate to say that that's a fact. I because I you know I I've never felt that. Now I'm starting to wonder. It's more about him than well. The, I want to say the country, but because if he really wants the Republican Party to win, he needs to maybe you know step aside and maybe you know. You just said something that that I connect with in a in a huge way, and and thanks for your call this morning. You're starting to feel that maybe that's the case. I think that's where a lot of folks, myself included, are this morning. I'm very similar to what you just described. Love Trump, still do. Got VIP tickets to his rally here in Wilmington. Interviewed him, Christ, interviewed him on the radio just a couple of weeks ago. Definitely not the anti. I'm not Bill Crystal sitting here doing the radio show, talking about how much I've hated Trump for the last six years. That's not me at all. But it seems at this point that it's not about the Republican ideology winning. It's about him winning, which is not unheard of. I think you could look at and make similar arguments with people like Mitt Romney back in 2012 and, and, and years after he lost that election. It was more about him than his ideals at that point. I think that's unfortunately just something that happens when you get into elected office at these higher levels. It kind of seeps in. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. Line 2. Good morning, call. You're on the air. Um, hi. Just kind of piggybacking what y'all were just saying. Um, as a businessman, Trump should think about the, how important a silent partner is. Mm. Effective he was very effective in what he did, but his mouth, <laughs> his mouth makes him look like a fool when he gets out there and says, I'm here because this guy had to kiss my butt to get me to come help him win. And, uh, and like some of the stuff he just says is like, and I like him at very effective. I hated his speeches. I wouldn't listen to him speech to speak, but I'd listen to it before I listen to Biden any day. I like that. Right. I like that phrase, a silent business partner. Yeah, and you would assume that somebody in that would, somebody in his position with all of his success in business over the decades uh, would be aware of that. That's a really good analogy. Thanks for the call this morning, brother. Appreciate it. 910-763-4000. I might steal that. Don't tell anybody. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> don't tell anybody. I'm going to steal that phrase, silent business partner. All right, line three, caller. Good morning. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Nick, it's Randy Brashears. Hey, Randy, what's going on? Um, I'm waiting on the same thing. I t- uh, There was a time, in, a time in our country's history where Donald Trump really was, ne- his presence really was necessary. Yeah. It was important what was going on. But right now, I, uh, I believe what he needs, I'd like to see DeSantis run in- instead because I believe it'd have less of a problem because there were people that were interviewed, and they asked them, did you vote for Biden or against Trump? And a lot of people said they voted the way they did against Trump. Correct. 
Yeah, there's a yeah, large I, majority of people. Randy, I want to I highlight how important what you just said is. There is a large contingent of people. And I'm going to say this. This show is not going to be the anti-Trump parade for the next two and a half years. That's not going to be this show. That's not me. But I think these are valid and relevant conversations to have right now. Again, if the goal is to push forward conservatism and Republican ideologies, Randy, I think we have to have these conversations, right? Yeah. And who I'd like, who I'd like to see is, as, as his running mate, would be North Carolina's lieutenant governor. Mm, there you go. There you go. Interesting one. Mark Robinson. Yeah, we'll see uh, what comes of him uh, running potentially here for the gubernatorial ship. Randy, appreciate yeah. your call this morning, and thanks for listening to the program, 910-763-4000. We got one final call here before we hit 730 this morning. Caller, good morning. You're on the air. You got about 60 seconds. Yeah, I don't know if you mentioned this already. I heard it last night on the radio that uh, Jason Miller and Kaylee McEnany, you know, two of Trump's closest advisors, told him not to make any announcements before the runoff in Georgia. I I I, I hope that's true. I mean, that was- I, heard, I listened to I listened to the Red Eye guys overnight. Uh-huh. I think they come on at one a.m. Yes, and, sir. And that's what I heard them say. Here's the thing: I don't doubt that that happened. The question too. The question is going to be, does he listen? Because yeah, exactly. I th- That's what I was thinking, too, whether or not he's going to listen to them. But I think uh, I'm a Trump guy, too. But I think the best thing for him to do is not say anything until after that yeah, runoff. And I agree with that. And and and, I, and a, a great point this morning. And that, he just got away. I mean, whether you want the guy to run or not, it does not make sense for him to announce his 2024 presidential bid on Monday. Just wait. Literally. Just wait. Three weeks. Four weeks. You'll be good to go. You don't have to make the announcement or a month. Afford Anything is a podcast that teaches you how to be smart with your money. As a small business, you don't have the resources to pay the level of overhead and for the level of services that a Fortune 500 company could afford. So I certainly understand why, if you want to offer benefits, the providers of that, that that fee is going to be higher because there's more account management per employee. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Wake up with Nick Craig. I just want to say that your show has got me to switch radio stations. Wilmington Morning News on 107.9 and 980 The Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. 910-763-4000 is our phone number this morning. That's 910-763-4000 if uh, you'd like to jump in on the program this morning. We're uh, waiting to get connected with our friend uh, Stephen Fapp here at the National Weather Service here in Wilmington as we continue to track the latest details on what was Hurricane, now uh, Tropical Storm um, Nicole. So we're waiting for uh, we're waiting to get connected with him. Obviously, very busy over there this morning with everything going on uh, with that storm. Winds and now winds now starting to pick up across the region. You've seen that the last uh, couple of days, uh, at least specifically yesterday morning, and that will continue through the day today. Some uh, rain and uh, waves action today as well. Looking at a live shot down at. 
Carolina Beach, or no, maybe this is Wrightsville Beach, either or, one of the east-facing beaches, the uh, wind or the uh, storm is pushing the surf pretty high for what you would expect uh, this time of morning, especially um, right now in November. So we're uh, looking for some of the impacts and some of the details on that. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. If you'd like to jump in on the program this morning, taking a look at some local news across the area this morning, a man is going to be serving about the next 12 years or so in prison after he has um, not pled guilty, but has entered into an Alfred an Alfred guilty plea dealing with a voluntary manslaughter case going back to 2018. His name is Jonathan Dwight Southers. He's 54 years old, and he entered into this Alfred guilty plea to a voluntary manslaughter charge in a New Hanover County Superior Court on Wednesday. For that, he'll serve about 11 and a half years in prison. Southers was arrested for the death of Yolanda Bentley at the Hanover Landing Apartments back on April the 12th of 2018. That happened around 2 o'clock in the morning. Southers reportedly stabbed Bentley once in the chest and then fled the scene. Bentley then succumbed to her injuries at the scene. Again, this almost four years ago. According to a release from the district attorney, Ben David's office, a woman told detectives that Southers and another friend had been drinking with her in her apartment. There was some sort of altercation, some back and forth. Southers left, then came back, then reportedly stabbed her uh, and then left her for dead for law enforcement to find her later on. A wooden chair leg was found near Bentley's body, which appeared to have come from a chair in her apartment, and a resident reported seeing a man on a bicycle leaving the apartment complex while another person yelled and screamed for someone to call 911. Phone and cell tower location records showed that the defendant was in the area at the time of the murder and stayed in Wilmington for days after. It's pretty interesting to notice that during questioning, Southers told detectives that he had left the apartment before anybody was killed and went to Myrtle Beach. When they questioned him about the location information on his cell phone, he said that his phone was broken and that he had thrown it away that night. And just pretty convenient. You happen to just throw away your phone on the night that you uh, allegedly murdered a woman. All right. Southers then made several calls when he was booked at a New Hanover County Detention Center. In those calls that are recorded, obviously, he was telling the individual on the other end of the phone that she needed to throw away his cell phone and put it, throw it into the Cape Fear River. So his story not adding up there in any way, shape, or form. Southers uh, made those calls. Law enforcement then were able to locate and confirm the, uh, that the woman had thrown away the phone and put thrown it into the river, as was requested there by Jonathan Southers. And um, she's also noted that he was acting strangely after the murder took place. So for the next nearly 12 years, he'll be hanging out in a uh, New Hanover County jail for this um, uh, Alfred guilty plea into this voluntary manslaughter charge here in Wilmington. In some other news across the area this morning, the Wilmington Police Department responding to what they are claiming as false information on social media. The news alert from WPD reads as follows. The Wilmington Police Department is aware of a Facebook post referencing eight missing African-American males. 
This is false information that has been passed around on social media. There is currently one case of a missing male, 28-year-old Colby Yarnborough. He went missing on October the 31st, but was not reported missing until November the 6th. Anybody with information is asked to please contact the Wilmington Police Department. Uh, either call them or submit information via 411. That's their uh, text anonymous text service that they have available. And on the heels of that, it's also a similar story ongoing over at New Hanover High School as the principal over there sent an email to families Tuesday night addressing uh, what he claimed to be multiple students missing within the school system saying, quote, our thoughts and prayers continue to be with multiple New Hanover High School students that are considered missing. Now, several teenagers have indeed gone missing in recent weeks, and New Hanover County schools officials confirmed that just one person who was attending New Hanover High School by the name of Miona Jones is reported has been reported missing, and law enforcement is currently searching for her, and the district deferred to police for more information on that. Then we talked about that, um, you know, that story from WPD about a bunch of individuals missing. Many parents took to social media to voice their concerns. One mother saying that they were hesitant to take their child to school on Wednesday. However, she said she felt slightly better after having a phone conversation with the principal about the email. Then that caused New Hanover County Chief Communication Officer Josh Smith to put out this message saying, quote, I want to address some misinformation circulating on social media about missing persons or students, specifically at New Hanover High School. One, New Hanover High School student by the name of Miona Jones is considered missing by law enforcement. An earlier message from the school referred to multiple students, and that was inaccurate. We apologize for any confusion that that has caused the community. There's also a Star News headline that was out yesterday that said that there were two students missing. The headline has then been updated to say that one of the two students has been found. The whole thing is just a mess. There's information flying all over the place about this. How many students are missing within the new Hanover County school system? Apparently one. I have absolutely no idea. There's so much of information ongoing in social media on this. It's quite the interesting uh, thing to see between the email from the principal, the Star News article, the email, or rather the uh, comment back from the from Josh Smith, the communications guy within the school system. There's just a lot of moving parts here right now. So as it appears, just one individual missing, uh, one student missing that is a, uh, a member of the New Hanover County or New Hanover High School. And then this Facebook post about eight missing men, uh, apparently not true in any way, shape or form. All right, it's now 7.45. We will grab a quick commercial break and uh, try and get connected with our friends over at the National Weather Service. You're listening to Wilmington's Morning News with Nick Craig on 107.9 and 9.8. The Wave. (music) 
Welcome back to the program. Hopefully you're having a nice Thursday morning. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. Donna King, our friend over at the Carolina Journal, joins us coming up here in just about 15 minutes. Well, if you uh, left your house yesterday or out and about this morning, you've likely noticed some pretty gusty winds, and you've likely heard about this name, Nicole. It was a hurricane that made a landfall overnight in Florida, and some of its impacts, or her impacts, I should say, will be felt along the Carolina coast today and tomorrow. Our friend Steve Pfaff over at the National Weather Service joins us here this morning. Uh, Steve, odd to be talking with you uh, on November the 10th about a, a tropical storm, but nevertheless, here we are. Yeah, good morning. Uh, very odd indeed. And when we look back at our uh, our history of storms going back to 1850, there have only been four uh, bringing some impacts to the area in November. So it's like an average of one every 43 years. Uh, going back to 1850, that we have to deal with a November storm, which is you know no surprise since hurricane season goes to the November 30th. Uh, but this this season just won't won't give up, unfortunately. Yeah, what started off as a very slow season it looked like we were going to be able to skirt things out pretty good. Then we had Ian, and now obviously this storm, no no comparison in any way, shape, or form. But another late storm here in uh, in uh, late in the season, I should say, not late in November. Uh, so we uh, we've seen the winds yesterday gusting pretty heavily last night and overnight. What are you guys expecting in terms of impacts today and tomorrow? Can you break it all down for us? Yeah, when, and you know, with the track, I mean, it's been ever so slowly being nudged westward, which is, is good for us in terms of the overall impacts. Uh, you know, it reduces uh, the, the sustained winds that we can get and the, the strength of the wind gusts. Um, you, you know, we're looking at uh, tomorrow maybe gusts across the area, 35 to, to 40 miles per hour, uh, a little higher over the coastal waters, which is, which is typical. Um, but we get into a little more unstable air mass as a result of the storm staying to our west, which actually increases our, our threat for tornadoes. We see that risk increasing tonight and, and persisting into Friday. And and, and in addition, some of the, the strong thunderstorms that could be in the area and, and bands uh, during tomorrow could produce locally higher wind gusts uh, of over 45 miles per hour. So nothing widespread with any wind impacts uh, you know, with the track farther west also limits our rainfall. We we sure could use the rain. Uh, we don't need it all at once. We were originally anticipating two to four inches of rain a few days ago with the track farther east, but but now uh, track in the western Carolinas, uh, you know, one to one and a half inches uh, on on average. It'll help a little bit, but but we need it a little bit more. But but the flip side of is that of that is we're glad we're not getting uh, too too much to cause any flooding. Uh, the other aspect is uh, coastal flooding. With each high tide uh, today through Friday, you know, we could see up to two inches of uh, uh, surge inundation, especially those prone areas, uh, those areas susceptible to, to king tides and, and low-lying areas along uh, the immediate shoreline. Um, really just uh, nothing major with coastal flooding. Um, and then we just see a continuation of uh, just hazardous maritime conditions through Saturday. But uh, this will be a fast-moving storm. Uh, it'll go from western Carolina's uh, early Friday afternoon all the way up and, and dissipated into a frontal band in the mid-Atlantic by or, um, by late Friday night into Saturday morning. So quick quick shot of some impacts, but, but definitely need to keep an eye on the tornado aspect. You mentioned uh, the uh, coastal impacts with uh, high tides. Is it uh, safe to say that the rip current risk is is elevated? And it's probably best to stay away from the water for the next couple of days if you can help it. Yeah, and the water is still 
well, at least temperatures are still tolerable for some some people. It's, it's around <laughs> 71 degrees. Yeah, put uh, on your bodysuit, Steve. Come on, that's plenty of good yeah, for surfing. We, we, it's still too cold, even even with the <laughs> the suit on for me. But uh, yeah, we we do anticipate strong rip currents, which will be hard to detect uh, given the ocean is going to look like a washing machine uh, for the next couple of days. Um, this weekend, I would expect those rips to kind of to hang in there as well. So uh, so yeah, you're right. Uh, rip currents, rough surf, some beach erosion also possible from the the run up that we see. With this uh, tornado threat, kind of give us a ballpark on on timeline of when you expect that, and 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 why are we in the uh, why are we in the risk of uh, tornado threats when uh, like the western half of the state looks like they're not? What's what's going on with that? Yeah, when you look at the climatology of you know, what we call tropical cyclone tornadoes, so any any tornado that forms uh, with some sort of tropical system, tropical storm or hurricane, usually the eastern half. Of um, if you look at the the whole picture of the storm, the eastern half is is where they are uh, predominantly located, and uh, with that track to our west puts that eastern half of the storm circulation basically on the central and eastern Carolinas, which is why we have that that risk. And when you add in some heating of the day, especially during uh, Friday, and you just adds to that instability. Uh, the, so the wind shear is in place, and now when you add instability to it, it allows thunderstorms to to rotate. So that's why we have that that concern. But that threat will will develop overnight as that instability increases, works in from the adjacent Atlantic waters and into the Carolinas, and I think it'll be most pronounced uh, Friday. So safe to say for folks as they uh, head to bed tonight, make sure that they've either got their phones, uh, you know, not on silent or their weather radios ready to go in case there's some uh, overnight watches and warnings. Yeah, we we definitely encourage people to ramp up their situational awareness uh, tonight, uh, and in particular if tornado watches go into effect, then we know. Uh, those conditions are coming together over the next several hours after that watch is issued that we really need to heighten our level of alertness. So we've seen too many tornadoes in the early morning hours or, or overnight, uh, which have caused problems. Um, you know, Rocky Point tornado back in 2004, uh, the Regalwood tornado back in 2006, um, uh, the Ocean Ridge Plantation tornado at night on uh, February a couple of years ago, too. So these nighttime tornadoes um, really have an impact because the public situational awareness is at an all-time low. So I love that you mentioned no weather radio. Uh, phones will alert, too. Um, you know, various media partners have apps that, that can alert. So just uh, tonight's a good night to keep an eye on things. Yeah, absolutely. Our friend Steve Pfaff with the National Weather Service here in Wilmington uh, joining us. Steve, for folks to get the uh, latest info on the storm throughout the day, today and tomorrow, what's the best source for them? Yeah, any of our, our, our partners within the media have great information. Uh, local emergency management offices also uh, share the information. And, of course, weather.gov slash ILM, which is uh, the, the, the Wilmington office serving southeast North Carolina uh, that has all this information. And uh, the National Hurricane Center's webpage is, is a great place, too. Thanks for the time this morning. As always, greatly appreciated, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you soon, all right? Great. Thanks. Take care. Yeah, thanks you as well. Steve Fath, the National Weather Service, our buddy over there, giving us the uh, latest details this morning on a storm that made landfall as a Category 1 hurricane 3 o'clock this morning just south of Vero Beach, Florida, as a 75-mile-an-hour Category 1 storm. It is now weakened. Its name is Nicole. She moved on shore around 3 o'clock this morning. And as you heard from Steve, you know, not expecting uh, 30 inches of rain or anything like that, maybe an inch and a half or two so nothing wild there the big impact as he seems to note here and has been talked about is the tornado risk and threat being on the eastern half of the storm and 
when you talk about overnight tornadoes and, uh, you know, especially when, as uh, Steve used the word, uh, awareness, when you're asleep, obviously, you're not watching TV, you're not browsing social media, you're not doing any of that stuff. So making sure you have a way, have a way to get an alert is, uh, is the way to go. And, of course, if there are any tornado warnings that uh, unfold across southeastern North Carolina, you'll hear them. You'll hear that uh, lovely, loud beeping tone here on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. And then we'll be uh, simulcasting coverage from our uh, folks, our friends over at WECT Television. And, of course, uh, I'll be with you back tomorrow morning at uh, 6 o'clock. And we'll take a look at the radar. We'll do the show. And uh, we've got some guest plans, some um, individuals, representatives with the – Veterans Day parade coming on as as well. So we'll we'll do the show. We'll sprinkle in some weather stuff here and there as it is relevant and necessary and give you everything that you need. So uh, just be aware of that tonight. Appreciate Steve Pfaff of the National Weather Service. All right, want to let you know of a cool opportunity going on right now. Our Sweet Bids auction is back. You can find details by visiting our website, 980waav.com. There's a lot of really cool items on here, including a couple of electric bikes that are up for bid right now. How about a $1,000 gift card to Buddy's Home Furnishing? You can get a bid in for that for just $250 or a couple of new sofas or love seats. All of those items are available at deep discounts during our Sweet Bids auction. You can find out those details by visiting our website, 980wave.com. Clicking on the Sweet Bids banner on the homepage and getting your bids in now. All of those details at 980wave.com or on our social media platforms. As we approach 8 o'clock this morning, our friends over at the Carolina Journal did full-on election coverage on Tuesday night. It was hosted by Donna King. She'll join us coming up after this. We'll get the latest details on the elections statewide and some of the things that... uh, Donna and her uh, people over at Carolina Journal have been following. Uh, Headed into 8.30 this morning, we'll get the CPI index for the month of October, and we'll bring you the details on that, plus your phone calls at 910-763-4000. You're listening to Wilmington's Morning News on 107.9 and 980. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. Sebastian Maniscalco. I'm a comedian. In my 20s, I wasn't like in a company, and I don't know like how marketing, sales. Yeah, you're a brand. You're a company. Yeah, and like Jay Z says, I'm a businessman. Yeah, yeah. To that, remind me not to quote any hip hop lyrics again. That was just a big miss. <laughs> when you first said, I'm like, yeah, he's a businessman. Yeah, I nailed it at the end. I pulled it together. It just took me a minute. The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. Wake up to the most dependable news, traffic, and weather. It's all I need. Wilmington's Morning News on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Final hour of Wilmington's Morning News on this Thursday, November the 10th, 2022. It's a pleasure to have you here. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. We are expecting uh, details on the October CPI, the Consumer Price Index, coming up here in just 30 minutes. We'll bring you that breaking news coming up after 8.35 this morning. If you have been a a longtime listener of the show, you know each and every Thursday morning at 8 o'clock, we chat with Don 
Donna King over at carolinajournal.com. And she joins us this morning. Donna, this might be uh, the most interesting interview that you and I have ever done coming off of the uh, midterm elections. We've been talking for nearly a year and a half about these elections. They uh, were here. They came. You guys did a phenomenal job with your coverage. Lay it all out for us. All right. So, you know, there's a couple of things. One, I think that uh, North Carolina and Republicans are uh, yeah, North Carolina definitely delivered for Republicans because we saw the uh, state legislature supermajority um, in the Senate, one seat away from a supermajority in the House. I think legislative leaders they had a press conference yesterday saying they're they're happy with the results. Um, think about what the pressure that's going to create for Democrats in the House. Nobody can have a cold in this session. Uh, there's going to be a tremendous amount of pressure on Democrats to side with Republicans and, you know, and and try and either override vetoes from the governor. That's going to create a whole dynamic in the legislature that Republicans are excited about. um, And they're happy, of course, with the Supreme Court races. You know, nationally, though, I think it's interesting. It really ended up not being what I expected, what a lot of people expected. Um, But I do think that perhaps our expectations were too high only because, you know, we saw inflation. We saw all these things we were angry about. We assumed everybody else was, too. But I think that there was a pervasive belief among Democrats that um, that inflation was something they couldn't control, that it was left over from COVID, that this is more about personality than it is about the bottom line. And I think Republicans, just because of the way we think, we see that government policy impacts um, what happens to families, and that this is about some level of autonomy for Americans, not necessarily a, a government parent. So there may have been that sort of philosophical divide, and we saw it in the results of the election. The big thing that we've got looking forward to, what happens with the next level of uh, North Carolina maps, and what does this mean for the North Carolina Supreme Court to have a 5-2 majority Republican? I got a uh, text message from a listener this morning. Uh, Bruce uh, sent in a text, which, by the way, you can text in your comments if you're out there listening this morning at 910-763-4000. His comment was about this, Donna, with the Supreme Court. He said, uh, you know, what is anticipated before Trey Allen and Richard Dietz are sworn in for the state Supreme Court dealing with things like voter ID as they you know, had oral arguments on that like two weeks ago, right before the election? Do we know sure. timeline-wise, is the Supreme Court going to be able to ram some stuff through while the Democrats hold the one seat majority for the next couple of weeks? Well, I mean, they certainly could come out with a decision on voter ID. Um, They passed on things like felon voting. They weren't going to hear that. I think their priority was Leandro. So that was released, of course. Um, Now, what could happen right now with voter ID? They've already heard it. So if the Supreme Court upholds that order that that kills the voter ID law, the General Assembly, uh, which now, of course, is more Republican than it was on Monday, um, the voter, the General Assembly would have to start over. So that's basically what it is. They're back to the drawing board with that. Um, now, the other thing is, is if, um, if the General Assembly uh, still has the obligation to uphold it because North Carolinians voted for it, they passed it in 2018. And anecdotally, polls say it's even more popular now than it was in 2018. So they don't necessarily need that amendment to get a law passed particularly now. So they could still pass voter ID, send it to the governor. Chances are he would veto it, go back and then do some, you know, horse trading if they need to, whatever, to override that veto. So it's still very much alive, particularly if that constitutional amendment is upheld. But remember, we also have 
redistricting maps. We're being focused a lot on that because uh, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to be hearing that on December 7th. I've been telling people for the last two days, Donna, that, you know, yes, there's issues in other states like Pennsylvania and Georgia, and obviously sure. their Republican Party down there, or there's the Republican voters just obviously are not as in tune as voters here in North Carolina. But um, we had huge wins and huge gains for Republicans here. And, and I'm afraid that it's kind of getting diluted by all of the stuff with Arizona and some of these other states that are just messes as of right now. Huge wins. Oh, definitely. I think that we saw it across across the state, really. Uh, Republicans swept, took every single seat uh, that was on the ballot for judicial races. So uh, both North Carolina Supreme Court seats went to Trey Allen and Richard Dietz, um, and then the Court of Appeals, which probably doesn't get as much attention as it should. Uh, Court of Appeals, Republicans won every one of those seats. Um, so that fundamentally changes what the legislature can do, good or bad, whether you like it or not, um, because that's going to change what they focus on. They had a press conference yesterday saying, look, we're gonna, not going to start until January because we want to talk to these incoming new members, see where their priorities are. Um, so they were going to have a session in December, not realizing there would be such an, a red upheaval uh, coming in. Now they're going to push it to January so they get a chance to meet these new representatives. We also saw it in school board races. You know, there were a ton of new candidates and school boards. And in some of the big areas, Charlotte had two new uh, Republicans elected to school boards. Wake County had a couple. Um, a new Hanover County, if I understand correctly, had a Republican come in. Um, Sweet, I think Donna. We swept four seats down here. Four seats? Yeah. I did not realize. Two two Democrat incumbents not only lost, but got the got the two. They were the two lowest voters. Four seats available. So eight eight candidates running. The two Democrat incumbents um, were the bottom two vote getters and all four Republicans swept the, the board of education. So complete and total Republican control on that board. Pretty astonishing. That's amazing. So that is huge news. We're going to get that written up and, and make some calls this afternoon, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, we saw that North Carolinians were, I, I feel like taking back the reins on some of these local races, school board, sheriffs, uh, county commissioners, I don't think they were as focused on the national and state level as they were on their communities. And I think that is a leftover from COVID. They saw uh, that in many cases, what was happening to their businesses, happening to their schools, happening to their communities was decided by folks who may not have even been challenged for the last decade. Uh, we had one member of the Wake County School Board that has been in office since 2011 and never had an opponent. Wow. That changed. That changes this year. People see it now. And I don't think that that is, uh, you know, something that we can kind of sweep under the rug. North Carolina is a key state, and now it's a key state for Republicans. And it was trending blue, I felt like, over the last few elections. Well, th I'm glad you mentioned that because I've seen a lot over the last couple of days. And, you know, you look at what was swing states 10 years ago, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Florida, Ohio. Florida, North Carolina, and Ohio seem pretty solidly red. Pennsylvania, for all intents and purposes, is a blue state now. Georgia is trending that way. Arizona, is a, Arizona and Nevada are the new purple states. It's really amazing to see how these trends and things ebb and flow, Donna. It really is. I mean, Stacey Abrams, you know, just really, really lost. And so <laughs> I, I think that Georgia, to me, what we saw today or saw Tuesday was that people were looking at the candidates, the quality of the candidates. It tells me you can't just put somebody up and say they're a Republican and, and, and get them a, an endorsement and everybody would be like, okay, I'll accept that and that's fine. 
people were looking at candidates. And I think that that's an important part of this process is that we underestimated the voters. They looked it up. Look at what happened with the Supreme Court and the legislature going extremely Republican. Uh, but yet, you know, uh, the Bud Beasley race was a little bit wider than than we expected. Um, but there were some Republicans in our congressional delegation that was still 7-7. That says a lot about the quality of a Democrat judge-drawn map, um, but also the candidates. It's interesting to see. I think this map was toilet paper. I mean, it's going to get redrawn uh, for, for the next go-round. And, and this case at the U.S. Supreme Court is going to be critical for that in December. What happened with the Bo Hines race? I know you're up there in Wake County. That's the southern part of Wake. He not only just lost on him, mean, he got he got he got beat pretty handily by Wiley Nickel, right? He he did, and and I think there's a couple of things uh, to that. One is that locally, I think people didn't really know what to think of him. I don't feel like we ever got a good sense of where he stood on on some key issues. It kind of got overshadowed by the. Um, by other people characterizing him as too young and a Trump, you know, endorsement and all that kind of thing. I think he didn't get a chance to step out and say, okay, this is who I am independently. Um, but when we look at the data on social media ads, so, you know, this is a deep dive. So, you know, not everybody engages with social media ads. But when you look at these things, these ads that kept popping up, who clicked on them, who read them, who spent more than 10 seconds looking at them? If you look at that data across that Wiley-Nickel-Bohine district, the only place where people engaged with his online ads was Carborough. The entire rest of the district was Wiley-Nickel. Most of that district was engaged with the advertising for Wiley-Nickel as opposed to Bohine. So regardless of what we were seeing with polling, um, that message was getting through for Wiley-Nickel. The biggest thing with him is, Wiley Nickel was able to paint himself as a moderate through these ads, and he is anything but. Uh, He is quite known in the state legislature for being as far left as you can get, but yet he's running ads about bounce houses and how moderate he is. He was speaking to the voter of that district, not really presenting who he was. Uh, we saw the same thing down here with Deb Butler in House District 18. She was purporting herself as a moderate and somebody that can get along with the other side. And then, of course, uh, you don't have to go back that long right. to find a video of her screaming like a deranged lunatic at the Speaker of the the North Carolina House. So that that right. seemed to be very effective. And the uh, same thing up in uh, Pennsylvania the with the Fetterman race. He kind of promoted himself as kind of a, even though he would say things that were very far to the left in his advertising, yeah, he's just a moderate just a regular Joe Schmo wearing his Carhartt sweatshirt. But in reality, he's uh, you know, abortion on demand and everything else. I guess the media right. does have – anybody that says political advertising doesn't have an impact, it's a fool, Don. I mean, it obviously does. Absolutely. It has a huge impact. It ha- it does. And and social media ads is what a lot of people saw this time around as opposed to, you know, radio and TV. Um, uh, but I think radio and TV is critical to reaching the demographic that is an active show-up voter. The ones that are interacting with social media ads don't always, they're not a reliable going to show up at the polls. Radio, they are hugely going to show up. You know, that is, that's statistically proven TV too. Um, it's, it's interesting, but I think that this move of these candidates, these Democrat candidates painting themselves as moderate was a, it was strategic and it was statewide, it was statewide and it was nationwide. Um, that tells me that the far left AOC, that crowd, they aren't, they aren't controlling the message anymore, but they may be controlling the votes and the policy. And that's something that we really have to be watching closely 
uh, when they all head to Washington. Yeah, lots to uh, deconstruct, and of course, we're still waiting on some results. Georgia will run, will be a, uh, a runoff that's coming up here December the sixth. So the uh, power of the U.S. Senate, we could have to wait until close to Christmas to get the details on that. Our guest this morning is Donna King. She's over at CarolinaJournal.com. We're going to grab a quick commercial break and have more with Donna coming up right after this. Have your say. Blah, 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 blah. But you'll have to do better than that. Call us now at 910-763-4000. Welcome back to the program, 823 on Wilmington's Morning News. Donna King, carolinajournal.com, joins us here this morning. Uh, Donna, you guys did uh, some multiple hours of coverage over at Carolina Journal on uh, Tuesday night, and we've uh, talked about some of the stuff uh, here in the state. Anything that really, obviously we know that the red wave or tsunami or whatever people want to call it didn't come forward. The political polling, though, uh, political polling was rather interesting here, not just in the state of North Carolina, but everywhere. Uh, Polls rapidly uh, did not predict the outcome of this election in many, many races. Sure, sure. I mean, I think here in the state level, the the results ended up being extremely close to what our polls said uh, here for North Carolina. So but you're right. You know, it really didn't. So the question is, is do, are the people who answered the phone for pollsters the same people who showed up to vote? And and that's the big one. And or did, you know, messaging change in the last few days that changed people's mind? I tend to think it's the first. I think the same people who answered the polls are not the same people who showed up to vote in many of these areas. Um, but I do think that, you know, what we're really seeing in North Carolina is this move toward um, toward uh, Republican judiciary. People, I think, were really looking into uh, what some of these cases were, um, things that alarmed them, things like voter ID that we just talked about. Um, so, so in that way, I think that it was pretty accurate here for North Carolina. Yeah, and you know, you look at some of the other states and and see the political pull in there. And I guess you know, Donna, you can look back at 2016. 2018, 2020, and now 2022, and you can see that there's been huge discrepancies in some polls across the country. At what point do we kind of revamp that system and stop putting any weight in these things at all? I mean, they showed Oz, at least competitive in that race. Real Clear Politics had him plus one in the polling average. He got his ass kicked by John Fetterman. It wasn't even close. So it's, it's interesting to see that a poll can be so wrong in that way. Right. Well, I mean, you know, polling is an art and a science all at once, and it's also a huge industry. So we're not going to see polls go away anytime soon. Uh, But they're going to take what they learned and they're going to get ready for 2024. I think one of the big things that we've found that perhaps is is a change that needs to happen is um, in North Carolina anyway, rural and urban areas really need to be polled separately because they may be their own beats, particularly urban areas. Um, As we're seeing people move to North Carolina, I thought we would be bluer. But I think what we're really seeing um, is that people who are moving to more rural areas are are getting with the system there. They're appreciating it. They're choosing to live there for a reason. And so they're not changing the dynamic as much. Um, but it, people who are moving to urban areas are making it bluer. So, you know, maybe an urban area needs to be pulled quite separately than rural areas and also unaffiliated. Unaffiliated voters may not be the center. They may not be the moderates. They may be the extreme right and the extreme left. They may have chosen to be unaffiliated because they think their party isn't going far enough. 
So those folks might need to be polled separately. Polling isn't going away. How they do it might change. Yeah, and that is exactly you know, what everybody is going to be looking at over the next couple of uh, months and years as we head towards the 24 elections is, you know, how do we revamp this? The old, the, the days of calling landlines and doing political polls that way is definitely on the out. Uh, then you look at you know, text messages and social media polls. But, you know, Don, I don't know about you, but if my phone rings and it's not a local phone number, I'm probably right. not answering it. And that's just yeah. that's just kind of the reality of it, unfortunately. And if that's a political poll, obviously you and I can't take them anyway. But even if if, sure. if we didn't weren't in this position, we probably still wouldn't answer the phone. And now we we get missed on that poll, completely walked over. I absolutely think that happens, and I think it happens more with men. Uh, they don't answer as often as as they as women do. And in um, urban areas, there people are much more likely to pick up a pick up the phone and answer the poll. Rural areas do not. Now, some of that is because they, they're calling their landlines and everybody's at work. Um, uh, but you also see Facebook polls. Republicans tend not to interact with those. Um, and people don't answer their cell phones. Uh, so you're more likely to get urban women to answer a poll um, and people over 60 than you are to get, um, you know, people in their 30s, 40s, 50s who are in rural areas. Yeah, which is, as we know, that younger generation, at least in this election, the the 18 to 35 vote was actually pretty strong uh, in comparison to what you would have assumed. Um, so, yeah, sure. how, do you, how do you pull those people? And, and unfortunately for the Republicans, uh, that group tends to sway very far to the left, Donna, and they voted on maybe one or issue, and that would have been uh, abortion. They ignored everything else. Yeah, they do. And and I I am actually encouraged to see them, them interacting because as they get older and start buying houses, having families and careers, opening businesses, they actually, you know, become a little more conservative. <laughs> uh, so I, I think it's a good thing that they're engaged. It's hard to poll them because you really have to pull them, you know, I don't know, Snapchat and Instagram and all those things. And that's just, I don't know how reliable that is. So that'll be a real challenge for pollsters in the coming election for 24. Donna, there's still a lot of things uh, outstanding, things still being uh, fleshed out here in the state and across the country. What's the best place for folks to get information? Oh, yeah. Head over to carolinajournal.com. We're still breaking down all these results, and we're going to be working on it. Um, certainly, we're also going to try and regroup and do some non-election news uh, for a skinny minute. But we'll, but we'll see. I think we're, we're going to be um, taking particularly the school board races. I think that that's a fascinating topic. We're going to be working on that a lot today. Donna, thank you so much for the time. As always, uh, great work to you and your ta uh, team over the last couple of days, and we look forward to catching up with you next week. Great. Have a good weekend. Thanks. You as well. Donna King, carolinajournal.com. Always appreciate her insight and time each and every Thursday morning. All right, bottom of the hour here, CPI coming up after. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. If you sacrifice your dream for the sake of satisfying someone else, that can often lead to ongoing resentment, which then poisons a relationship subtly, slowly, but it does. And if he doesn't want to let you down, then your dreams matter. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Wake up to your daily dose of reality. It's a refreshing drive to work in the morning. This is Wilmington's Morning News on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Six 
final half hour of Wilmington's morning news on this Thursday edition. It's great to have you here. Open phone lines until 9 o'clock at 910-763-4000. That's 910-763-4000. Breaking news now. 107.9 and 980 the way. We do have the October consumer price index in. Inflation continues to rise, however, beating expectations as consumer price indexes rose four tenths of a point in October, less than the six tenths of a point that was expected for the month. That still means we're running at 7.7 year over year. So October of 21 to October of 22. However, Dow Jones was estimating that it would be closer to 7.9 year over year. So potentially inflation cooling a little bit. Uh, obviously, we know the Federal Reserve has been raising interest rates for months now. They've got another meeting coming up in a couple of weeks, um, excluding volatile food and energy costs, which is known as the core CPI index. That increased three tenths of a percent for the month and is running hot at 6.3 percent year over year. So even even though uh, it is fallen, uh, at least it's cooled. It's not like uh, inflation has gone down. It's just cooled due to uh, rather um, than what we were expecting. And now that has caused the Dow to be up nearly 900 points pre-open. And uh, futures just continue to uh, soar with this good news as maybe finally this is the end in sight for rising prices here in the United States. All right, uh, 910-763-4000. You can call or text us with your comments. Let's jump on over to our phone lines this morning. Bruce is hanging on the line. Bruce, good morning, sir. Hope you're doing well. I am, Nick. Thanks. Hey, you know, I've heard some people say that Republicans wait till election day to vote, and some of them may even think it's related to the safety of their vote. That's not my opinion, but... I'm wondering for Georgia, if the Democrats start voting next week or the week after and the Republicans wait till Election Day, it seems like they're just missing a bunch of opportunities for the Republican Party and, and those that want to influence them to, to work on their get out to vote. What are your what are your thoughts on that, Nick? Well, there's a couple of things. And there, you know, going back to the 2020 presidential election, there was lots of claims of improprieties in voting in certain states places like Arizona and, and Nevada, maybe even Pennsylvania and Georgia. But, Bruce, I think the biggest problem you've run into is now everybody takes every single election and every single result and yells and screams fraud and votes don't count. And you have to I – saw, I saw people posting here locally in Facebook groups and other communication channels that you needed to vote after 4 o'clock on Election Day, which is beyond stupid. There's no indication here in the state of North Carolina or any state that your vote is somehow going to be tampered with if you vote before 4 o'clock. Anybody that's saying that is, is just being foolish and is being misled. And, Bruce, guess what? If you wait till 4 o'clock on Election Day and you go to turn over your car in the driveway and it's dead, then what? Now you can't vote at all. Exactly. You're, you, you're screwed. Exactly. Yeah. And that's my concern. Or, or terrible weather or something. Yeah. And, and I don't know what it is. It's it just it's it's amazing to me that on the conservative side of the aisle and the Republican side of the aisle, people are just they are just so willing to yell and scream fraud at anything. I mean, you know, I, I'm somebody and uh, Bruce, I assume you're the same way. You know, if you're going to make a claim about something like, for example, that there's election fraud, well, let's let's take a look at it and then we can determine 
after that. But when we just make things up like, oh, vote after three o'clock because some guy on Telegram told me to do so, you're just a fool. I mean, I just I don't know what else to say about it. I'm not trying to be ugly or mean or rude about it. But God, that's just that seemed to be the whole conversation the last couple of weeks. It is. And that's been one of my focuses on the electoral board is to try to understand our processes and our laws well enough so that I can say I don't see a reason to to be concerned at all. I've not found anything. We're going to keep looking and listening and hearing people's specific complaints. But so far, you know, in over a year, I haven't seen anything that would lead me to believe that. Well, and I think it's also, and it goes back to a conversation I had earlier this morning, is to not take issues that happen in other states and equate them to here in North Carolina. For example, I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that the voting system in Arizona is broken. They they haven't even counted 70% of their vote yet. That is an abject failure if it takes you days to count your votes. Yeah, but if if you've got a bunch of pre-printed ballots that don't scan, you've got to count those ballots and all the races on those ballots probably by hand or change the, the program that does the scanning. Yeah. So each one of those are not short-term things. I mean, we, re- we recount one precinct, two precincts um, um, on the Thursday before Canvas and by hand, and we just do one race, and it takes, it takes a long time. We're going to recount the Senator Bud race. Um, next Thursday, and by hand, on two precincts that are randomly selected on Wednesday. And, you know, it takes a while, and it's got to be done precisely. So, and the same thing would happen in the third round of any recount that occurs. So, it's it's not a trivial matter. No, it's not a trivial matter. And I think the, the frustration that myself, and I'm hearing a lot of stuff in Arizona, is that these similar problems happened in 2020. And specifically, it's just one county, Maricopa County, and they just weren't corrected. Um, and then you, ha- I mean, even this is the point, I'm, not, I'm sure that you saw it. Carrie Lake had to vote at a different precinct than the one that she's registered at because of issues with the voting system there in Arizona. I mean, that's just, that's, this is all they do is 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 administer the elections and for something to be that big of a failure just it sows doubt in people's mind but again you know bruce as you mentioned you can't equate that stuff to every other state because we don't have those issues here in north carolina do we right right and maybe they just didn't do a sufficient job testing ballots and machines ahead of time and hopefully they learned lessons to do better going forward yeah and and i think that and i think that's what it is is you know yes here's the thing when you've got um, hundreds of millions or, or tens of millions of people casting ballots in certain states, depending on where you live, there's going to be issues. For example, out in Columbus County, there was two or three voting locations that had their um, times extended because there was an issue with either a printer or with a, uh, a tabulator out there. You expect that stuff to happen when things um, take place, when you've got literally hundreds if not thousands of voting locations in you know in a geographical area that stuff is to be expected um but when you've got massive issues same thing out in nevada i don't know what's going on out there but they don't even have 80 percent of their vote counted yet yet you've got places like florida where they've got 99.9 percent and it's similar numbers here in north carolina um and it just it raises a lot of questions and bruce it 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 fosters that conversation that leads to well your votes are going to be stolen if you don't vote until five minutes before the polls close it 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 fosters that kind of conversation at least in my uh, my opinion you know and and i i agree with you Uh, let me give you a couple of examples when we were looking at some of the um, 
um, overseas and military ballots that we're required to uh, do ahead of the election. And we'll do some more after. Um, but there, a ballot will come in, and it might just have a little tiny nick in the bark in the the, the very edge, and or the person used a sharpie to mark their ballot um, at a one-stop location. Those ballots aren't scannable. We have to be duplicated, and then have a bunch of people, you know, bipartisan teams duplicate it, and bipartisan um, members of the board review it, make sure it's properly done, and then it gets scanned. And so it's a slow process. We just Several of our absentee by mail meetings go till uh, well after 10 o'clock. So that's part of the process is the ballots almost have to be perfect. And I think I think something that can help help in this is more information about the process. I think when folk when you don't know about something um, and it seems complicated and there seems to be issues with transparency or information being available. And I'm not indicating that's what's going on, but when these situations arise, people immediately jump to skepticism, which you can argue whether that's a good or bad thing. That's, that's not really my place to do. So maybe, you know, in, in places like Arizona where they seem to have the same issues over and over again and Nevada and some of these other states, maybe they just need to do a better job of telegraphing to the public the things that you're talking about right now. This is why this that this is taking this longer. This was the situation that took place because what I've seen right now is is nothing. All I'm seeing is social media posts and info. Like I, I've learned more about how many votes are outstanding in Arizona from Carrie Lake than I had from the Board of Elections director. That's not good. The Board of Elections right. director should be able to give that information to the public. I should not have to hear it from a candidate that's running for political office. That's a huge problem. It is, but the candidates are going to get the press more than the Board of Elections uh, director. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, you're right. This press conferences tend not to make the uh, salacious headlines like a, a candidate right. coming out and doing it. Bruce, thanks uh, Thanks for the call this morning. Yes, thanks sir. for all the work that you're doing over on the uh, Board sure. of uh, Elections here in New Hampshire. Let's, uh, let's catch up next week before the canvassing process, and let us let me put my money where my mouth is, and we'll talk about the process, what it looks like, and all that stuff, all right? Thanks, Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Bruce uh, Kemp joining us this morning. He is on the uh, Board of Elections here in New Hanover County. And he brings up a very interesting point about, you know, early voting, which you can we can sit here and and, and I encourage it. If you want to talk about early voting, whether you think it's something that's necessary going forward, how much early voting, I think that's a valid conversation to have. I'll say this, and this is just my opinion. I think in North Carolina, there's a little bit too much maybe early voting. Now, I'm not saying that because I want to disencourage people to vote. And I'm not saying that because it's a, there's a problem with the voting system. But you're talking about 330 hours of early voting ahead of the election. When this runoff in Georgia, early voting starts next week in Georgia for an election that takes place on December the 6th. Now, you can have time for early voting, sure. But do you need 300 hours of early voting? Because that not only causes, pro- it's and again, I'm not saying it because it causes problems, but guess what it does do? It puts a stress on your staff if you're the board of, uh, board of elections in all 100 counties in North Carolina. It puts huge stress on your staff because they're out and about for literally three and a half weeks before the election. It puts a huge stress on the volunteers and the candidates as well. All, and I, I'm not one of these election days, the only day that you should be able to vote because there are circumstances. People travel for work. What if you get, what if you find out 
you know, three we- three days before the election that you have to travel for work. You can't request an absentee ballot. The timeline is that for pass. But what do you do? Now your vote just doesn't count because you had to travel for work or you have a family emergency you have to take care of? No. You want to have a week or so, week and a half of early voting, a couple of weekends in there? Sure. You got places like North Carolina and, and Virginia that, I mean, Jesus, have like a month of early voting. That just seems a bit extreme. And in the case of Arizona, why is it taking so long for votes to be cast in Arizona or for for votes to be counted? According to the election director, over 200,000 ballots were dropped off at voting places. People requested absentee ballots. They filled them out. And in in, uh, Arizona, you're apparently allowed to drop that off day of. So all of those ballots need to be coalesced and verified and then counted. They're the equivalent of a ballot showing up in the mail. So some of that may, some of the delay over there might be self-inflicted. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. Let's jump on over to our phone lines. Caller, good morning. You're on the air. Go ahead. Good morning. Good morning. I, um, this call is probably best directed to the, your previous caller. I had no idea that you were actually talking this morning from the Board of Elections, but I had a I had a question, just a just a curiosity. Mm-hmm. First of all, I'm I'm all about uh, voter ID and and security and all of that. Yeah, I'm an old that. guy and I'm and I'm an old guy and I'm not really tech savvy, but I did notice something as I was voting, um, and it, it just kind of sort of puzzled me in in terms of the lack of or the possible lack of the anonymity of the ballot. When when you go in to and you're greeted by the, the the first person, you you they put your information into the computer and they print out. And I'm not sure of the nomenclature. They print out a voter application or whatever, but it's something that you have to sign, wherein you're verifying that that's your address and that sort of thing. Yes, sir. And then and then based on your residence and the districts that you're in, they'll print out a ballot for you right there. Now, each of these documents has a barcode on it. Yes. And the, and the clerk is then scanning each of those barcodes, conceivably tying those together, and now my vote is no longer anonymous. Okay, so you're talking about the ballot and then the form that you're okay. verifying who you are exactly. and what you are? It's an interesting question. Um, well, so I'll do, let me do this. Um, uh, we're going to talk with Bruce next week um, about the certification process and all of that. Um, so I'll ask him that next week and, um, and 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 report back. I don't know. And again, that I think that's a valid question. And you're right to be able to ask that. Um, and I think it's a good question. And if you can get an answer that's sufficient, it makes sense. Great. The problem is you ask that question and somebody immediately jumps to the conclusion, well, my ballot's being changed and it's and it's no longer anonymous and my vote is being stolen. That's to me in, in where the problem in lies is there are questions that we don't understand, we don't know, maybe because we haven't asked and you're doing the right thing in asking. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a conspiracy. I'm not a conspiracy nut in terms of the security of my vote. I'm just talking about, and, and yes, there, we, we do need to, there, there are, you know, there are fathoms uh, deep of things that we need to do to to clean up the system, voter rolls uh, purging, and 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 that sort of thing. But that's you know that's for the lawmakers, and then that's for the boards like Bruce and and that sort of thing to enforce. I'm simply 
the point I'm making now is simply the loss of anonymity. I'm not I'm not at all I'm not at all thinking that they're going to change my vote that they're going to do anything. But they've now by scanning those two, I'm talking back to back, right back to back. They conceivably have tied my ballot to my application. Let me ask you a question: Did you early vote? I did. See, uh, th- that's that like, that's something that's interesting because I voted on election day, and they don't print the ballot on election day because you vote at your precinct, so they already know what your ballot looks like. With early voting, right. you've got those five locations, and anybody right. from any area can vote. So it's a very interesting question. I appreciate it, and I'll get an answer okay. back for All you. Right. I, I promise you I'll get an answer back, uh, and we'll report on it coming up. Um, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll talk with Bruce today. We'll get an answer coming up on that tomorrow morning. All right, it's uh, 8.53 now, final commercial break. More Wilmington's Morning News right after this. Sixty-two degrees in uh, Wilmington right now. Windy, gray skies as uh, the impacts from Tropical Storm Nicole will make her way over the Cape Fear region in southeastern North Carolina over the next, well, let's call it about thirty-six hours or so. A storm pretty much will be out of here by uh, Friday, at, at least the big impacts out of here by about Friday afternoon. And it does look like it's going to clear up nice headed into uh, Veterans Day weekend, which is good because I know there's a lot of local events planned on that. According to the latest update from the uh, National Hurricane Center, winds now 60 miles an hour with the storm heading west-northwest at 14 with Nicole Center now over central Florida. The National Hurricane Center is warning of strong winds and dangerous storm surge in Florida. Here across, especially our east and south-facing beaches, we are taking a look at some risk of higher rip currents, some um, you know fresh, not freshwater flooding, but ocean flooding in areas that are susceptible to high tides. And according to our friends over at the National Weather Service here in Wilmington, the biggest threat is actually going to be isolated tornadoes. Those are expected to come your way later tonight in the overnight hours and through the early morning tomorrow. So as you are headed to bed tonight, make sure you've got a way to get a warning or an alert. If a tornado warning is to be issued, that you have a way to get that warning and can get into a place of shelter if needed. We will, of course, have all of those details coming up for you on a Friday edition of Wilmington's Morning News. We'll also talk about some of the great events coming up this weekend for Veterans Day as well, plus the latest election results, your phone calls and text messages at 910-763-4000, the news of the day and more coming up tomorrow morning starting at 6 right here on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Have a great Thursday. John Bullard Insurance Studio. 107- Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. <laughs> <laughs> when you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.